Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Wednesday Night Live. This is Ron Crawford, pastor of the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. And what a great privilege it is to reach out to our Saints Network family across the nations. We love you. We pray for you. And it's a blessing to be able to come around the table of the Lord together with you. And, of course, I am so grateful to be able to address my church here locally in Dallas and those who are part of this body. I bless you, and I believe that the Lord has a word for us today. If I didn't have a word that I knew was from the Lord, I would not make one up. That's what happens so many times in ministry. I can remember years and years ago when I was just freshly out of seminary and was ministering here. Um, I didn't. I knew at that point that the pastor's responsibility was to bring a sermon, and you wanted to have it in a way that uh, would draw the interest of the people so you would try to find illustrations and stories and you would try to put it together hopefully in three specific points and if you had alliteration that would be helpful and you wanted it to to, as uh, my professor said in seminary that the sermon should be like a uh, well I'll say a kilt he said a woman's skirt but that's probably not politically correct. I'll borrow a line from the, the Stewart's, or Ryan Stewart's wedding to Amy. Uh, that a sermon should be like a kilt, long enough to cover the subject, short enough to be interesting. And so you'd, you'd put these things together, and it was, it was a hassle to try to do that because you were more in the situation of entertaining the people and presenting yourself in a way that you hoped would be palatable to grow in numbers and that that was a beating that that really was and when when the lord when the lord um changed all of us and called us to a path of intercession we then began to want to do what i believe god wanted all along to hear what the spirit was saying and to bring meat for the pathway that the saints are walking on. And so God has been faithful over the years to continuously guide with an immediacy and a and a an absolute necessity to guide us into things that we need for that moment. And so if I didn't have that, I don't know what I'd do. I I don't know. I I wouldn't want to just get up and talk. I've had to do that in the past, you know. When I would be in ministry someplace and I would be called to speak to a certain group and I'd go into that group and I'd think, I have stepped into not only the general church, but a group of people who are here more for a social encounter than they are for 
hearing anything from God. And so it's the way it is, like in foreign countries where you don't know where they're asking you to go speak. You're just in a vehicle and you show up at the place and you walk in and you think, oh, what 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 am I what am I facing here? And so you would have to scramble to think, Lord, what should I say? And of course, then you'd have the idea of, do I just minister prophetically to the people? Which, you know, in Europe they love to have hands laid on them and they love prophecy, so that's always a winner. And um, but you'd think there's no reason to try to bring meat here. Because these people don't even have any teeth. And that's not being critical. That's just knowing the terrain. You know, if you if I was a basketball coach and, and I came into a, um, a group of students that I was just there to do a, uh, um, a, a quick seminar for, and I could see that these kids could barely dribble, it would be pointless for me to try to speak uh, theory or defensive alignments, or anything of that nature. You know, you just say, okay, let's see if we can pass and catch. Let's see if, can you dribble? To so see who can dribble the fastest from here to here. Uh, let's see who can actually dribble from there to there. That would be the first step. And so, it's awkward to have to do that. It's it's awkward. And you know, I, I saw in the scripture the Apostle, the Apostle Paul lament the fact that, you know, I'd like to be bringing to you the deeper meat of the scripture because you really are called to be oracles. But I have to come and bring milk to you. I, I, I It's a frustrating thing. So I guess what I'm saying is I'm very grateful to be speaking to an audience of people who are not haughty or prideful but who want the deeper things of the Spirit and who can receive the meat of the Word because they're living it. And I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that because I, I don't know that I would really be desirous of doing anything less than that. I, I just, I couldn't, I don't think I could do it. <laughs> did you see that, this is kind of a sad story, but did you see the video? This is really sad, but it's kind of funny in a way. Of our our military at some base in Afghanistan trying to teach the group of about 30 men how to do jumping jacks. I mean, it was sad, but it was also kind of funny because it was you just have to see it. It was it was horrible. And that's not to say that all of the military in Afghanistan were that way, but I, I felt badly for that, for a, probably a sergeant who was having to try to teach grown men how to do jumping jacks. And it, it was, it was, it reminded me of the movie Stripes with Bill Murray and um, uh, that cast of folks and you know, that poor Sergeant Halka trying to teach those guys to do just the basic things. It, it, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible to, to have to, to think, okay, what can I do with this batch of misfits here? So I guess what I'm saying is I'm grateful to be able to speak to you. And again, not, not in any haughty way, but to be able to bring 
the the meat of the word for where we are so what the lord started to speak to me about yesterday and then very profoundly this morning was about the mystery of godliness the musterion of godliness and i the more i thought about it the more i thought okay father this is this is what you want us to look at today so uh, you have an outline that Scott has posted, and we're very grateful for that. So if you've not pulled that up yet, you may want to. But we are going to begin by looking at 1 Timothy 3, verses 15 through uh, chapter 4, verse 5. But before we do that, let's look at a definition of what godliness is in the New Testament. Now, when, when we would read godliness out of our Bible, I don't know what it says in the French or Portuguese scriptures, but uh, I don't know what it says in the Spanish scriptures, but I know in English, if I hear the word godliness, I think in the natural, that, that just means that, you, <clears throat> that you're not a vagabond, that you're not some despicable character that nobody can trust you know if you you have godliness about you it just means that you're an upstanding person and you you are trying to live by the mandates of what the scripture says the do's and the don'ts hopefully more of the do's than the don'ts that's what i would think most people in the general church think godliness is But when you consider what it was in the culture of the day when Paul wrote to Timothy or when Peter wrote um, to his, um, his followers, you find something much deeper. Godliness, in the definition that we've given you here, me is from Eusebia in the Greek, which means to respect to honor, to apply the principles of the purpose of God. And that is really an incredible statement in itself. To respect, to honor, to apply the principles of the purpose of God. It, it involved in the Greek culture discipline. For them, it really meant in the ancient, in more ancient days, the principles and the mandates of the, of the gods that they worshipped. But the Spirit then uses this word to speak about God Almighty. It talks about having responsibility and authority based upon the principles that you have adhered to. In um, this comes from the a root sabatos, which, when it became Latinized, is the word from which we get Augustus, Augustus Caesar, Caesar, not Caesar, but Caesar. And in fact, in in Acts twenty seven verse one. There, there was a specialized group of soldiers who were called 
the Augustus Band. I don't know what kind of music they played, but it was the in other translations it was a military cohort, and it was a specialized group that were formed by Augustus to make sure that the military was adhering to the principles of what the Roman military was supposed to be, and that the Romans were to be that wherever they were. In fact, the Bible references that um, the centurion, Cornelius, was somebody who followed this type of godliness. They were, they were disciplined. And in the Roman army, this specialized group really knew what it meant to be a Roman soldier and they would take on the tasks that Rome needed to have done that were delicate or perhaps maybe it was like an internal affairs type of a thing, but it was more than that. They really demonstrated the an adherence to what the legionnaires were supposed to be. And since there were all different types of people groups that uh, throughout the Roman world that constituted and were amalgamed into the Roman legions, it was important that those legions didn't um, degenerate into whatever those conquered nations became. And the reason they were conquered was that the Roman system was more efficient Maybe it was Roman supremacy. I don't know. But Augustus, when he took the throne, it's why he uh, he immediately began to put a tax on people, a tax, T-A-X. And um, he, he wanted order. He wanted discipline. He wanted adherence to what the Republic was supposed to have been. And be that as it may it was really what this word godliness in a pneumaticos sense was formed from even the uh, the Jewish people would use this word to detail the type of behavior expected from the Gentiles when they became proselytes into the Jewish religion and um, so even the the Jewish people recognize that when somebody wants to become a Jew in that day they have to become a Jew they have to do what it means to be a Jewish person and so there's a system of order there's a system of responsibility. There's a system of applied principles. So godliness in the scope of why the Spirit chose this word was not just following a list of do's and don'ts or, or even, as noble as this is, just being a person of integrity. You should be a person of integrity and you should follow the do's but it has more to do with understanding the principles 
of identity. Understanding what it means to be a person of honor, which is an imprint of the one you represent. Honor was an imprint. And that's what we should be. And that's what the scriptures that we're going to look at, um, that's what they represent when we see this word godliness. Now, it's kind of like what we used to do in America when somebody would become a citizen. They would have to study. They would have to know the history of the country. They would have to speak English. They would have to be able to speak about the Declaration of, the Indep of Independence. They'd have to know the Constitution. And then they would go and they would have a test to see whether they really knew that. And they would renounce every other, every other thing, every other nationality to pledge themselves to be a citizen of America. And then they would have a ceremony where they would raise their hand and they would pledge allegiance and they would get a certificate that would state they were American citizens and they were blessed by that. Where is that gone? Anybody can become a citizen now. I mean, you, you just get blanket, blanket, uh, blanket citizenship, amnesty. And so you have people like those that come from some Muslim nations and they live in their own enclave and they, they don't know really anything about what it means to be America. They, they want to have Sharia law, um, but they're Americans. And then they elect people to Congress that go and bash America who want to change the things that our nation was founded on. We see that. That's certainly not what this country was founded on. And, and I think even in England, I bought a book several years ago that said, Is God Still English was the title of it. It was basically, other than a catchy title, it was basically saying how that England, even though they consider themselves a Christian nation, now is made up of all kinds of other belief systems. And... Um, and the peop many of the people that are there don't even consider themselves, even though they're English citizens, don't consider themselves to be devoted to the interests of the nation. And they, they did a poll that I read about in that book that said they would poll people. They said, do you consider yourself an English or, or do you consider yourself and they would list any number of other things. And a great portion of those people said they considered themselves other things. And that's happening throughout the world. It happens in France. There are, there are places, you know, you had after World War II, a lot of the Algerian immigrants came because, you know, France was in need of people. I'm no expert on this, but I know enough to know that there are certain parts of France that really aren't French. Large portions, even in the outskirts of Paris. And sometimes those folks will get stirred up and they'll riot. I remember f traveling one time 
with a group of uh, from in ministry we were going the way to Charles de Gaulle and that you could just see massive amounts of smoke rising from one of these communities where there had been a riot because they weren't really French people they didn't want to amalgam themselves into becoming good Frenchmen they believed they were something else and it had nothing really to do with the color of skin it had nothing really to do with anti-anything it was more you have not become a citizen you you may be a citizen but you you don't know the first thing or maybe you don't want to know the first thing about what it means to be a a, a, a frenchman or a french woman and I, I would just go also to say that like with america right now you know our country was founded on the belief of freedom of speech freedom of religion people can know god it's a christian nation in god we trust what does that mean anymore you know i was thinking the other day yesterday about how that uh, this debacle in afghanistan really is communicating to people that they can't have faith in america anymore whatever that means and then I was thinking about it last night, and I thought, well, maybe the reason they don't have faith in America is that there's no real faith in America anymore. Maybe maybe all these folks that are slamming Christianity. Do you know how much Christianity is really targeted right now? It is. There are attempts from seemingly all corners to paint Christianity as racist, as bigoted, as supremacist, as all kinds of things, and really trying to destroy people of faith, legitimate people of faith. And that's all comers. I mean, it's African-American churches, people who love God, who love the Word of God. It's not just white folk, not just whitey. It's everybody who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and the validity of the Word of God. Faith is dwindling in our nation. And I pray that what will happen is that the Christian people of all colors will come together and say, enough is enough. You know, America used to be that. I mean, faith in God sustained this nation through world wars. Faith in God, in God, the God of the Bible, sustained this nation through so many things. Through the Civil War, that was, that was the rallying cry of those who were abolitionists. You know, I hate to spoil anybody here, but there's a reason that in my earliest days of knowing what it meant in this country to live in this country in the 60s the civil rights movement you ever listen to some of those um, recordings from those gatherings there's a reason Martin Luther King was Reverend Martin Luther King they would preach the word they would talk about having a dream and believing that God was going to answer and he did 
to a very large degree. Where is that belief now? It's secularism. Even churches are tearing apart the word of God and saying it's not valid anymore. And that the things we believe as Christians that this country was based on, yeah, we've got a lot of flaws, but listen to me. What we were as a country and what God created us to be is what made this nation into the greatest nation on the earth. It's what causes millions of people from around the world to do anything they can to get here. It wasn't because we were flying certain flags of aberrant behavior or that we, uh, that we just let anything go. It was in God we trust. It was Bible-believing people who would pray. And that's under attack. It's trying to, the enemy is trying to dismantle that and has been during most of my lifetime. And, you know, you know, I, I was thinking about, you know, and this is all has to do with this Eusebia, this godliness, knowing the rudimentary principles of, principles of God and doing them, doing them, living by them. Um, the problem now is that when you live by the principles of God, you're called all kinds of names ending with an I-S-T. You're some kind of an ist if you do that. And you're, you're called, you're a narcissist and you, you have hubris because you, you won't abandon things in the word to say that what people are doing in sin is okay. You know, I remember when I grew up, look, look at this illustration. It seemed like smoking was everywhere. Cigarette smoking was everywhere. It was in movies, it was on TV. You, you would see commercials. There were cigarette machines everywhere. Uh, at school, um, people would be, kids would be out back smoking, and they would be smoking other stuff too, but they'd be smoking. It was a cool thing to do. And um, I remember on, when you flew on an airplane, um, the first time I flew on an airplane, you could smoke anywhere in that airplane. And then there started to be people who would say there's danger to this. So you had a smoking section. And then we had smoking sections in restaurants. And you remember those days? Some of you don't even know those days. I remember when I first moved here, when I would go down to Baylor Hospital to visit parishioners who were there. Right outside the main entrance to Baylor Hospital was a very large section. It's still there today. And I called it it was the place of the smoking Baptists because there were dozens and dozens of people at any time of the day out there just puffing away because they weren't allowed to smoke in the hospital. But my church, we, we believe smoking was, I don't want to say it's a sin, but it was an aberration. It was a filthy habit. It made your clothes stink. And it cost money. And it was an addiction. And it was an addiction. But, you know, the only reason smoking was prohibited in the following decades was because it was deemed to be a health hazard. 
secondhand smoke. Remember all those days? But I don't remember smokers saying, we want all of you people that don't smoke to say that smoking is good. If you, because you don't smoke, you are this and you are that. We're going to teach your kids in school that it's, it's okay to smoke. You know, you, you should just smoke. We're going to teach you how to smoke so that you aren't a smokeophobe. You know, I, I don't remember any of that, do you? Any more than I remember people doing that about drinking. Because boy, oh boy, where I grew up, there were a lot of Italians and a lot of Eastern Europeans and a lot of Irish, and those cultures, they love their drinking. But I don't remember any of them wanting to set up booths in schools saying, okay, we don't want you, any of you to be drinkophobes, so you, you, let's just teach you how to drink right now. Do you remember any of that? I don't. But today, any kind of behavior that I don't think is God's way, I'm not judging anybody who does it, but it's not enough for me to say, as for me and my house, we're going to live and we're going to do these things because we believe this is where the scripture is. It's not enough for that to be a right. It's any kind of behavior that is, in my opinion, against the principles of God. We are not even, in an, as a nation, saying we're going to defend the rights of people to do whatever they want to do. We're, we're going to try to make you say that what we're doing is right. We want you to acknowledge that what we are doing is right is right not just legal but right and we're going to teach your kids how we do what we do you see these are strange days and it has nothing to do with being a racist or a homophobe or any other kind of phobe islamophobe if you talk about principles the principles that made this country great. How many avenues are trying to destroy the principles that made this country great? The nonsense that's being taught up, it, it's obvious, the governor of Oregon saying it, and in other places that, well, we've got to dumb down our math studies because math is white supremacy. Math is what sent us to the moon. Math is what developed computer systems. Math is what did all these things. The Chinese, the Indians, um, all kinds of other cultures are lapping us in math right now. And we're going to pay the price for that in the future. How many principles that made this country great are going to be just trodden underfoot in the name of all these other uh, special interests. It's bizarre. And people who should know better, what if we did that in the NBA or the NFL? Okay, um, we're going to have equity here. So we, whether you can play or not, 
we've got to have women on this team. We've got to have a bunch of white guys on this team. We've got to have people from the, the Pacific on this team. We've got to have... What if we did that? What if we did that? And then we say, you know, there shouldn't be any rules in this game. Uh, you know, Naismith was a white guy, so we should just trash all those rules. And um, we'll just let anybody do what they want to do out here on the court. How about that? <laughs> it wouldn't last very long, would it? But boy, oh boy, we can sure do it with our universities and even the studies. And the most important thing, doing it to the belief in God. And, and I pray that through this demonic onslaught, God will raise up a new church of all colors and that we will be a genos before God who believe in the word and believe in the deeper things of the word of God. And, you know, it's going to be like what Ben Franklin said. We better hang together or we're all going to hang separately. I didn't intend to say all these things, but really, this is the essence of godliness. And I'm not just talking about people coming to church and having a social gathering and giving a, a brief pass to the script, everybody carrying their Bibles. And I'm talking about people that actually are living it and know in the deeper things of, of the Spirit. We've got to have that. This, these are desperate days. And, you know, people come to our country. There are millions of people now that are flooding into this country who are not going to be made to learn what made America great, what, what the foundation of America is, and the faith in God that formed this country that is still on our currency, that what that really means. And uh, we'll still be a country that we would still be a country that lets people worship in whatever way they want. But the basis of this land is the God of the Scriptures. The mighty God who blessed America. And that's what we've got to have. Because, you know, I was listening to uh, an African-American brother, Jason Whitlock, the other day. And he doesn't hide his belief he was on a, a, a conservative talk show and he was being interviewed and he, he was asked, what do, you, uh, what do you attribute some of these more progressive viewpoints in our country? Uh, some of the most insane things that are, being, that are being tolerated and taught to our children. And Jason Whitlock had the, had the courage to say, I'm a Christian. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I see going on in so many parts of our country is demonic. It is satanic. And it's time for the Christians who believe in God and believe there is a devil to start calling things what they are. See, it's going to take 
people of color to stand together, for, for, for Caucasian people to stand with people of color who, who are before the throne of God where none of us have a color other than the colors of the Spirit, um, to stand together and, and for all of us to say these things. He said that. And, you know, Candace Owens can say those kinds of things. We have Hispanic folks that can say those kinds of things. And the church is going to have to mobilize and say, as Joshua did, who is on the Lord's side? Let him come over unto me. And so this godliness that we're looking at today is really within the house of God, within the church of God, saying we want to move in his principles. So 1 Timothy 3.15 says, If I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar, that's stelos, that draw down point from heaven, and the ground, the foundation of the truth what God is continuing to reveal without controversy. And this is, tell me, you would know what this word is. It's spelled out there, homo meaning all the same. Logos, that's the foundation of the world, the foundation of the world. and menos, which is abiding. That's how we ought to be behaving. That's, that it, without controversy, is that's a bad translation. It really means this is what should be in the place where the pillar and the ground of the truth is. That we're all believing the Logos of God and we're abiding in it. That's what that big word means. See, you know a massive multisyllabic Greek word because you know those root words. Great, Megas, is the mysterion of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached to the Gentiles, believed on in the word, world, received up into glory. The spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies hypocritically, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats, which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. See, see this? How do we withstand the latter days? How do we withstand the times when there are people that are speaking doctrines of devils and seducing spirits that are guiding people into alternative pathways? How do we, how do we sustain ourselves? Well, we all follow the logos of the word. We abide where God has planted us. We eat that same meat. We are a stelos of the temple of God. That's a scripture. Your pillars in the temple. You are, we are standing on the foundation of that ongoing pursuit of what has been hidden, being revealed by the Spirit. And the musterion of God. This is musterion moves through people who are Eusebia, who respect and honor and apply the principles of the ongoing purpose of God, who are disciplined in that, who are responsible in the authority that God gives them. You are a unit within the church, within the ecclesia, 
who adheres to those and represents those principles. And in ancient times, very ancient times, in Homer and Plato, not Homer and Jethro, but Homer and Plato, they, they knew that this was the only pathway to happiness and contentment. So the mystery, the mysterion of what God is revealing to people who are praying mysteries in unknown tongues before God, that's what Scripture says. It's going to find its base and it's going to find its productive soil in people of godliness. Let's continue to look. When Paul wrote concerning current heresies that were going on even in the time of Timothy in Ephesus, 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, refuse profane and old wives' fables. And that for him, he had to deal with a lot of demonic traditions because this really wasn't tradition in the church because this was the, the first church. They hadn't had time to, to know what old brother so-and-so did. These profane and old wives' fables were things that were believed in the spirit realm, demonic things usually. But exercise yourself rather unto godliness. And then he talks into the Greek mentality a bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable in all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. And there, Paul wasn't lamenting or complaining about people who exercised. He was linking the devotion to physical exercise to what needed to be applied to godliness. It's very interesting. Paul continues to write to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verse 3. If any man teach otherwise against the things that the doctrines that have been laid out already uh, and does not consent to wholesome words, even to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is really proud, knowing nothing, doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof comes envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw yourselves. Godliness with contentment is great gain. The dispute of words, strifes, we're seeing that today. Talking points. Have you been noticing over the past week whenever somebody is talking to the, uh, the spokesman for the administration, they nitpick about what word is being used? Are Americans potentially being stranded in Kabul and in Afghanistan? Oh, no. We can't say that word stranded because it conveys a wrong talking point but they are being stranded no they're not we're getting reports from people 
uh, here and there saying that they're afraid to leave their homes, that the Taliban is attacking people and beating people in the street and tearing up passports. Well, give us the names that we haven't heard of those people. They're not stranded talking points. We have those talking points. Ever. You can't say this word anymore. Don't say that word. This communicates the wrong thing. You should say this word instead. Oh, they said the word. We've got to cancel them. They said the word 30 years ago. We found the tape of it. They're gone. We can't have that. Have you heard anything like that? Well, they obviously did it back then about other things. Um, it's, it's, it's awful. Strifes, questions and strifes of words. Verses 11 and 12. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Follow after what? Righteousness, righteous vision, godliness, which is a discipline to adhere, not legalistically, not pharisaically, but a discipline to the principles of God, faith, which is, a, which is pistis, love, the agape, patience, which we talked about on Sunday, meekness, which is controlled strength, fight the good fight of faith. Look at that. Godliness is there. We have to flee these other things. We, we have to withdraw ourselves from people who are pursuing these damnable heresies. 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 and 9, speaking about the last day. Oh, well, let, let's, let's look. Forgive me. I skipped Peter. 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 7. Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. So what you're doing at the right hand of God, add integrity and noble consistency. Add to that knowledge, gnosis. And to knowledge, temperance, which is a word that means to demonstrate the kratos power of God effectively. Add to temperance, patience, hupomeno, which again we talked about on Sunday. And to patience, godliness. See, all these things you learn and develop and live you then form principles and it galvanizes you to be a noble person. Not a rigid person, but a noble person. You know, when you, I was, we were told here a number of years ago, and I, I remember this to this day, that our adherence to the pneumatikos principles was a hubris and was narcissistic. See, the society will, will butt up against you and try to get you to come off of things in your own life. It's not that you're damning anybody else, but in your own life. You've got to abandon Scripture. It's not God's Word. It's not truly God's Word. And if you stand for this, these godly principles, you are really this. Well, nobody wants to be called that. You know, it's like when you were a kid. You know, hey, Ronnie, jump off this roof. I'm not going to jump off that roof. I could break my leg or break my arm or break something else oh come on are you, you're a chicken you're a chicken you can't do it you're and and 
they'd call you names to try to bait you into doing something that was really idiotic. Well, same thing's happening today, only instead of being a chicken, you're a racist or you're a supremacist. Hey, how, has anybody had a, an, an update from the president as the greatest terrorist threat in our country? Is it still white people? I don't know. Maybe it's been bumped down to number five or six now. I don't know. I don't know. But no matter what you're called, it's, it's about who you are. Are you going to adhere to the principles of godliness? If you're hanging around people that keep trying to take you down, you need to withdraw from those people, is what the scripture says here. Withdraw thyself. That means you. Flee is another word that's used. But here is Peter, and he's saying the same thing about godliness. He's listing it out. And then he says, And to godliness, brotherly kindness, Philadelphia. Boy, that's changed. Uh, which, which basically means being, a, a, being a, with people who are like-minded, who like the same things. There's a difference between agape and philos. Agape is the pursuit of the purpose of God. Philos is, hey, you know what? I see that these are really the way I should live. I like, I've grown to like the ways of God, and I'm going to be that. And I'm going to be around people who like the things of God. The famous, Peter, do you love me? The three times, remember, that, oh, Lord, thou, you know that I lovest thou. There was an, an interaction between agape and philos there. We've taught about it. We don't have time today. But you want the, the point of it is that you've got to pursue the love of God, the agape, but then you've got to adapt those principles because they're God's principles and let your carnality submit to it to where you recognize this is the way to live. I'm not grudgingly living this. I like this because this is God's way. So that's what Peter's saying here. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. This know that in the last days perilous times will come. Ravenous is a good word for that. Men will be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent. That doesn't mean they have to run to the bathroom all the time. That means they can't control themselves. Fierce, despisers. Of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Morphing godliness. Having a form is to morph, to become that when it's convenient. And then you morph back into what you really are. Denying the dunamis of those godly principles. From such... Here it is again. Turn away. And then Paul equated them with Jonas and Jambres, who were magicians in the court of Moses, who resisted Moses in the histeme of the spirit realm. Well, resist. Stay away from those who resist the truth of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith. They will proceed no further. Their folly will be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. Wow. 
How about Titus 1, verse 1? Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after or with kata godliness i listen to what he says i'm an apostle i'm moving unto the according to what god is saying at the throne with the elect of god i am acknowledging the pursuit of the continuing revelation of the spirit and i'm following it with godliness that's quite an opening, isn't it? I like the grace, truth, grace, mercy, and peace openings, but this one, man, Paul is laying it out there. This is what I am, and this is what you should do too. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. I exhort, I exhort, I exhort. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. I have to admit, I've been, I try to pray for our administration and our government and to do these things that are listed here. But I spent a lot of time just praying in the Spirit because it's wheels off. And it's so many things that are launching out of this current administration, which Jason Whitlock, a brother, says is satanic, and I believe it is. How does a godly Christian really pray for that other than to say, get them out of there? But if you get one out of there, just, there's a long list of them that are, that are forming the strategies. It won't change. So we have to pray and be led um, in blessing, not cursing. We have to speak forth what the Spirit is saying needs to be spoken forth. And we need to really pray that godliness amongst the people of God would be preserved and would begin to grow. You know, I remember many years ago there were things done by an administration that were markedly against Israel, markedly an affront to Israel, and a a um, uh, there were things that in conversely were touting up those that were wanting to destroy that nation. And I remember praying, God, forgive us. Don't let these things manifest. Father, forgive them. They don't really know what they're doing, which is what Jesus prayed in regard to the enemy-influenced people that had beaten him and hung him on a cross. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I pray that even though I know good and well some of them know what they're doing, but that's neither here nor there. The ultimate objective, they don't really recognize, I don't think, that they're really partnering with Satan here. And, and I pray that God would forgive us. And in the midst of this darkness and gross darkness, that people of light would begin to be stirred and arise. 
and that the godliness principles that we cherish here in America and as then as pneumatikos people would not only be preserved but would begin to grow in a groundswell. There's much more that we could say about that but don't be cursing the president. Oh listen there are times when I'm hearing what's coming out of that White House and I think what are you doing? Why are you allowing this? And why did you do this? And why did you do this? I mean, it's it's terrible, some so many of the things. But don't curse the leaders. Pray in the Spirit. Prophetically glean what the Spirit will want you to react to. And, and again, I believe that we ask forgiveness. We ask that God would we should be praying for the church in Afghanistan right now. There's so many ministries that went in there and established churches, and there are God-believing Afghans that are, you know, we're hearing stories about them, the, the Taliban taking the phones of people and seeing if there are Bible apps on them and marking the houses of Christians in a mockery of the Passover, saying that we have come inside this roof is what their symbol means. It's terrible. We need to be praying for those people, and we need to be praying that those that are going to come into that quote-unquote caliphate that will then try to legitimately stir terrorism throughout the world, but more than that, ungodly demonic doctrines that will come against Israel and Christians and the people of God. We need to be praying in those ways, asking God to forgive our country and to forgive and to and to rise up his spirit within the midst of these dear people. And we need to pray for our country. We need to pray for people that are flooding across this border and who are being brought in legally, that they will encounter Christ and that there will be, uh, there will be a, a move of God's Spirit. And I believe that's coming, but it's going to come because people of all colors who love the Lord and love His Word come together. We need to be praying for that. Amen? Godliness. Let's quickly hasten. I've got one and a half minutes. Second Peter 3, verses 11 through 13. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all saintly conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting under the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, looking for new heavens and a new earth, wherein we wherein dwelleth righteousness. Peter just cuts down to the chase, doesn't he? This is where we are right now. Uh, the last day of our seminar, I'm believing that the Lord's going to allow me to speak on the saints in the end times. This is where we are. And we need to recognize that no matter what happens, 
the days of the current Babylonian system are numbered and the comings of Jesus are on the doorstep and incidentally our seminar here in Dallas we need you to register online on the Saints Network webpage it's easy to do we need to know whether you're going to be here in person or coming virtually we need that so do it there's going to be a cutoff time and and it's going to benefit you to do this okay it's not going to cost you anything just a couple of minutes but do it register the last passage miracles will come because godliness is not of human works Acts 13 12 this is the man at the gate beautiful who the lame guy who's healed Peter and John the people are beginning to worship Peter and John and in Acts 13 12 Peter saw it and said men of Israel why do you marvel at this or why you look so earnestly on us as though by our own dunamis or godliness we have made this man to walk see godliness is merely the framework upon which the musterion of God will visit. But if you aren't walking in godliness, if you aren't walking in the principles of God, this is the way people blown about by every wind of doctrine, they don't even know the rudimentary things of what it means to be a saint. God help us. And any little, every little breeze seems to whisper Louise. Every wind of doctrine. We know that one. But you ask him to say, what's the definition of faith in Scripture? What's the definition of a saint in Scripture? What's the definition of a pneumatikos person? What's the definition of mercy? What's the definition of righteousness? What They can't tell you. They don't know. Why? What's it mean to proskuneo? Tell me a passage of scripture where that's talked about. And what happens when you lay on your face before God? Scripturally, tell me. I I don't know. I can't tell you that. When was the last time you did it? Well, let's see here. You sound like my mother who's gone on to be with the Lord. Uh, One time I asked her many years ago, Mom, how often do you speak in tongues? She said, oh, maybe about once a month. I'm not maligning my mother, but she was. It's like that old commercial. How long's it been since you had a good steaming bowl of Wolf Brand chili? Well, that's too long. That was a big commercial back in the day. How long has it been since you were on your face? And can you give a scriptural explanation for that? To give a reason for what is so readily believed among you? See, we've got to establish God's principles based on his word. This isn't the gospel according to Ron. This is the scripture. And live by those principles because that is the basis of musterion. That is the mystery of godliness. The progressive revelation of what God is revealing. That's what musterion is. That's what we pray in diversities of tongues. But it's not enough, even though it's necessary, to pray in diversities of tongues. It's to live by the principles that God reveals through that walk. 
And that's the basis upon which the mystery of God and the power of God is going to be known. Amen? Well, we're done. I went really long last week. I'm just a little bit long. I'm getting better. I pray that the mystery of godliness will flow in and through you. Have hope, saints, whether you live in America or whatever other land you live in. We love you. We're all part of the saints nation, a holy nation, which is what the scripture says. And we must believe God for those who want to walk in godliness to come together and to be a voice, a voice of righteousness in this wicked world. Thanks for joining us, for joining me. Until next time, God bless you and goodbye.